0: You're using your pew Bibles, it's page 528, that's the blue book in front of you, in the rack. However, you may want to, it's a short psalm, it's very picturesque, you may want to just close your eyes and hear as Psalm 1. Again, it's page 3, 528 if you're going to read it. Um, but you may want to just listen, Psalm first. remember the Psalm 1 and 2, they're keyhole psalms, right? First Psalm deals very much with individual piety, and then the big, big picture is Psalm 2 about our Lord's reign. Blessed, that is, under the smile of God, is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Colossians 3 and verses 1 to 17, this is page 1169 and following in your pew Bibles. Verse 6, the wrath of God is coming. It actually means it comes. It's not just future, but throughout history, God's wrath is revealed. Colossians chapter 3 and verses 1 to 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, on account of these things, the wrath of God comes. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one is a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The grass does wither and the flowers do fade away. The word of our God stands forever to which you say, Hallelujah, and thanks be to God. Our God, we love to hear not only your promise that you'll be with us and that you'll never forsake us, but that in your being with us and never forsaking us, you mean the fiery trials that we go through to refine us and to consume that dross that is there. And Lord, as painful as that experience of your discipline is, we would not have it any other way, for our desire is to be as your gold, your silver, your diamonds, gems that are cut perfectly by you uh, for their place in the everlasting temple of glory. And now, our Lord, as we think about what for many is a rather mundane thing, may this be anything but ordain, may we all... Realize that to take these resolutions seriously would literally transform us. We ask all of these things in the great change agent, the Lord Jesus, confirming that we desire to be heard as we say together, Amen. 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 Please be seated. You will you want to turn in your Bibles, to or your pew Bibles if you're using them, Page 1169 and following. And my guess is you will want to use uh, page 10, my notes on today's sermon, for at least to write down the, the three great resolutions. I'm one of these people who loves New Year's resolutions. And I know you hear it all the time, yeah, but we don't keep them. And people will tease about whether they even keep their New Year's resolution through the end of the first day of a new year. And that seems to be the answer to uh, all those of us who love New Year's resolutions, but we don't keep them. Well, to that, the preachers got responses. Uh, Number one, that's why you have a new year. (laughs) because you don't keep them in one year, and you got another year that comes, and you can remake those same resolutions when they're good one. That's one answer. The other is, remember, brothers and sisters, if you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it. If you don't have any goals, any things that you uh, want to make different and resolve in life, uh, then you're aiming at nothing, and you will surely hit nothing. And that's not a good thing for Christians who are to be focused on the goal of being more like Christ. The other is, and this is something for us to consider in another day, um, in at least the Scottish tradition of the so-called Reformed faith, of which we're a part as Presbyterians, there's something called covenanting. I, I, I tease my Scottish brothers and sisters and I call that a, a Scottish altar call, covenanting. And I, and I don't mean it in a bad sense, uh, covenanting was uh, built, basically built on an Old Testament pattern of an individual or a family or a church or even a nation recommitting itself to what the Word of God says. And uh, you would remember what the Word of God says. time of covenanting was a time of repentance. And it was a time of renewal, renewed commitment. I think that's a good thing, regardless of what you call it, resolutions, covenanting, or whatever. So I'm a big, big fan of New Year's resolutions. And today, what I want to give you is three, although it's really four, uh, great New Year's resolutions. And I say great because they will change your life. They, they, they will they will change you for the better, um, insofar as you work on applying these things. They're not difficult, but they do demand discipline. But they are great New Year's resolutions, and they will change your life. So you will need to be on page 1,169 and following in your pew Bible, looking at Colossians 3 or your own Bible. And while the big one is the the resolutions, I want to deal, number one, with the big picture. Uh, The big picture is Colossians 3 and verses 1 to 15, um, number two, and we won't spend a lot of time on it, we'll never get to the resolutions, but the number two is the resolutions themselves, which are encased in verses 16 and 17 in Colossians 3, and then their effects, uh, their effects in your life. I promise you they will make you different, they will make you better, and I will make good on that promise by telling you what those, those effects are, okay? So, three great New Year's resolutions, and they are. Let's look at the big picture. Again, it's Colossians three and verses one to fifteen, page one thousand one hundred sixty-nine and following. Now, if if piety, if if what it is to 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 love the Lord and serve Him with all of your being, if if that was a, a generator, okay, this would be the big generator of those things, especially verses one through four. But all of verses 1 to 15, the dynamics of true piety. Now, verses 1 through 4 um, are, are follow two chapters of what are called indicatives. They are things that are true of the gospel. Whether or not people believe it, you know, they are things that are true, although they're addressed to those who in faith have embraced Jesus Christ, and it lays out the glory of what real, what real piety is. Those are indicatives. Now the imperatives, what you do with that, are given beginning at chapter 3 and verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. That's the indicative. We'll get to that in a moment. And here's the imperative. Keep, literally, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Imperative, keep setting your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Here's the indicative again, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, it's pretty obvious here that union with Christ by grace through faith, that's that's the, that's the real, that's the atomic generator in, in this whole dynamic that is here. You are in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we'll illustrate that in, in a minute. But, but what this means is you've died in Him, you're raised with Him, and you're seated with Him in the heavenly places, you are literally one flesh with him, the scriptures say. But that is really a difficult concept to grasp because we are right here. And, and so let me, let me give you a little, a little illustration that may help you grasp what it is that you've died with Christ, you've been raised with Christ, you're seated with Christ. Even though these things happened in history, they're still yours. Okay, So simple, well, I think it's a simple illustration. When I was born... What do I do with this watch that keeps talking to me? Sorry you don't understand. I'm concerned they understand. (laughs) Um, When I was born in 1951, I was born as an American citizen. Now, I didn't didn't know what that meant. In fact, you didn't know very much when you're born, except to cry and be hungry. But, But I was born as an American citizen. And as I grew... I grew to appreciate more and more what that meant. Uh, what were the historical things that made that the the American Revolution, uh, the war between the states, World War One, World War Two, and then as you go on, the Spanish American War, and all the different things, the economic upturns and downturns, all, the presidencies. We've had all of those things that that were part of our of our nation's formation and development, and which people were active. That, that was my history. I, I wasn't there, but I wouldn't be what I was and am as an American citizen if it weren't for the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, the different presidencies, and so on. And that's, that's, kind, of, that's kind of easy to grasp, I guess, uh, that that's part of our history even though we're not there. Now let's apply it in the spiritual realm. You are born again. God works in you, he changes your heart. And all all of these things about the Lord Jesus revealed in the scriptures that were a mystery to you, they come alive to you. And 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 you you cry, you not only cry over your own sin, there's a cry of joy. You want to eat, you want to feast on the word of God. And and as you grow in your understanding of what that is, you realize you're part of something called a kingdom. You're part of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And and while being an American citizen goes back, I mean, ultimately to God's sovereignty, there's a lot of people involved in that, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people involved in that formation. For the Christian, it's one person. It's the Lord Jesus himself. and, And everything that that kingdom is about Yes, it's about Christ prophesied and Christ whose work is opened up in the New Testament, but it's about Christ. Christ is sufficient. And as you unpack that work that he did in his person, what do you learn? Well, when he died, I died. When he rose again from the dead, I rose again from the dead. We are seated with him, Paul says in the heavenly places in Christ. That's part of what it is to be a citizen of the kingdom. And you truly grow as an American citizen when you become aware of your history and your past and people who formed it, and you will really grow in your Christian life when you contemplate the fact, I've been raised with Christ, and therefore I keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And because I'm there, I set my affections on those things. And I remind myself again, in when Christ died, I died. And when he appears, well, our union with him is indissoluble. When he appears in glory, I also will appear with him in glory. Um, so so that, that's kind of the dynamo for all of this. And then in verses 5 through 11, Paul says, remember you're not what you were, okay? If if you died in Christ, when he died, you died, well, then you're, you're a different person, but there's a process that you go through by which you put to death what is earthly in you. And there's a list, sexual immorality. It's not a perfect or complete list, but it's, but it's sufficient. Uh, sexual immorality, impurity, passion or evil passion, evil desire and covetousness which is interestingly idolatry. Notice how all these go back to the, to the Ten Commandments in, in one way or the other. And he says, uh, remember, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And part of what needs to be said in our culture of sexual morality and impurity and passion and evil desire, you don't ever say it with hatred, but with a broken heart. The wrath of God comes in history and ultimately at the last day. In these, Paul says, you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. And he adds more to it. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. The ninth commandment, seeing you've put off the old self with its practices and you've Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And he says, no, the issue here isn't nationality. It's not grace. It's grace. You're not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. That's not what's important. It's Christ. Christ is sufficient. He is all and in all. And, and so here he says, be careful you realize these things these things that bring the wrath of God on the world, they're not your identity anymore. They're part of your old biography, but they're not part of your new identity. Your new identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says what you must do is strip off your old clothes. He says put all of these things away, strip them off. Uh, they're, they're not part of what you are meant to be. I remember vividly, I can still almost smell it, <laughs> one summer when I was working with a gospel team in the Midwest, and when we had a little break, we would stay at the home of a, of a relatively elderly couple, and they were farmers, and so we would help out. And um, did, not knowing what we were going to get into on a farm, because most of us were city kind of guys. And one afternoon, we needed to shovel chicken manure. Um, there's something particularly odious about chicken manure. If it's cow manure you can or horse manure, you can kind of miss it. Chicken manure, you can't, especially when you're shoveling it. And after a couple of hours of this, this stuff is is a part of you, the chaff, the manure itself, and the dirt and whatever else, and all you wanted to do was go in and get a shower and put on new clothes, okay and now the chicken manure is not part of us. you wash it all off, and you put on new clothes that 's what Paul says. the things of your old nature, you put them off, you strip them off, take them away, and you and you and' we'll, the other positive part we 'll get to in a moment now, why do I emphasize? These things, uh, Paul says, that they're not part of your old identity. They are part of your old identity, but they're not part of your new. They're part of your old biography, but not your new identity. Uh, Brothers and sisters, one of the very pernicious things that's happening, and it's very commonplace among evangelical religion in the United States is this. People will say, I'm a gay Christian. I am an alcoholic Christian. I, I am a pornography-addicted Christian. Particularly the first one is very common. That, folks, quite frankly, if your identity is as a homosexual, as a drunkard, as a pornography addict, you're not a Christian at all. And you don't blend those two. People say, that's just part of my identity. I can't change these things. No, but God can, and he does. And that's what it says in here. That's why you put off those old things. And again, they may be part of your old biography, to be sure, these things in your life. But he says, you once walked in them. You once lived in them. But you don't live in that anymore you put off those things and then he says you put on new things the same way we had to put on a new suit of clothes after that bout with the chicken manure he says put on them as God's chosen ones holy and beloved that's what you are now outside of Christ unholy and the wrath of God abides on you in Christ holy and beloved Put on, here's your clothes. When Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Now, this is what he means. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord's forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Isn't that putting on Christ? And that's why he can say, let the peace of Christ, Christ's own peace, he is at peace with God and that walk with holiness, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, we'll come back to this because it's mentioned three times, and be thankful. Um, Your identity is in Christ and you put him on as a new suit of clothes. So that's the backdrop. And brothers and sisters, you've got to think of yourself like that. I believe in Christ, I trust in Christ. Chapters one and two emphasize that I'm one with Christ. Well, Christ didn't begin to exist when you were converted. You were chosen in Christ from the foundation of the world. There are things in what we call the covenant of grace that are yours in Christ. And when Christ was prophesied, even the Apostle Peter said, they weren't writing first for themselves, but for us who would receive the gospel. You're, you're in view as Christ himself is prophesied. And, and Christ comes into the world, and because, because of the decree of God, you are in him. When he lives, you live. When he dies, you die. When he's raised, he's raised. And when he goes to glory and sits there, you are too. And in history, when you are born again, again, it's like being born and realize I'm a citizen of a certain national kingdom, a kingdom of God, and you revel in above all else. I mean, you do revel in church history, to be sure, but above all else, it's Christ who is all and Paul says, in you all, okay, if we don't go any, if we keep going with that, you'll never get to the resolutions. That's the big picture. Now, three, although really four, great resolutions, okay? Three, although really four great resolutions. Number one, soak yourself in the word of God. Let the verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you you richly now just jot down the text we won't turn there but but if you look at the parallel text in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 Paul doesn't say let the word of Christ dwell in you richly but he says be filled with the spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians were probably written about the same time. And so Paul, under the inspiration of God, is letting Scripture interpret Scripture. What is it to be filled with the Spirit? It is to be filled with the Word of God. It is letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. You say, well, why does not say the Word of God here? because the word of the word of god is about christ handles messiah isn't it glorious the way those prophecies are put together and and you can almost see christ jesus the lord as you sing of his coming and of his death and of his resurrection so it is the word of christ soak yourself in the word of god the great puritan writer who wrote pilgrim's progress john bunyan it was said if you cut him He would bleed Bibline because the Word of God was so much a part of him. Well, there's a good goal in soaking yourself in the Word of God. And folks, do you realize the privilege of having the Word of God? I want you to imagine that you are plopped down into this massive place loaded with people, no sign, there's no signs at all, but you are plopped into this place, or if there are signs, you don't know what they mean. That place happens to be New York City, but you don't know that. And you are plopped down on 8th Avenue. You don't know which way is north, you don't know which way is south, you don't know which way is east, you don't know which way is west. You have no idea where you came from and where are you supposed to be going in this place. And to top it all off, your ears don't hear very well. Your hearing is distorted. In fact, you'll often hear something exactly the opposite of what's being really said. And you don't see very well either. Everything is very confused to your eyesight. And you've got to make your way through this. You've got to make your way through manhole covers that may be out of place, leaving huge openings to which you could fall to break your back, if not worse. You're going to areas with people who can think nothing more than to strip you of everything you've got on. You're going to go to areas in which you can walk right in front of a car and get killed. And you have no idea where you're going. That, folks, that's what it's like if you don't have the Word of God. Paul calls it, as he writes to the Athenians, groping. You you are groping like blind people. And you ponder that. We're not meant to be without the Word of God. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and, and they were created perfectly... They still were meant to live out of every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What is it that you would need in New York City? Better vision, better hearing. That's what God does in new birth. But you also have to have a GPS. You've got to have a way that tells you where you came from, where you're going, what this is, and what danger zones are. You don't want to live in a world without that. I hope you don't. But if you do, just imagine you're in this massive city with people who can think wouldn't think of it, they slit your throats, and you can easily kill yourself by a misstep. Tell you that's what it's like to be in a fallen world with no guidance from heaven. That's why when we hear things like all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, the woman of God, the child of God might be complete, thoroughly equipped unto every good work. Yes, that's what the Bible is about. Your word is a light to my feet, it's a lamp to my feet. It guides me in the way. You really do not want to have the scriptures. Why is it then that Christians in this country... Very, very, very few of them even read their Bibles anymore. And so, brothers and sisters, first resolution based on this text, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Soak yourself in the Word of God. Read it. I've given you a a suggested reading pattern. If you don't read the Bible in a whole year don't be devastated by it check off what you read if it takes you two years three years to do it then take the time to read through the scriptures read them and if you're getting a little bit weary when you're in the middle of the book of leviticus um, and you don't have something good like the gospel transformation bible to help you make your way through that then start reading the gospels And if you feel like you're just taking in too much when you're reading a couple chapters a day, just read a chapter a day or even a small portion a day and chew on it. Don't just read the Word of God, meditate on it, chew on it. Uh, Psalm chapter 1, blessed is he who meditates on the law of God day and night. It's like a cow chewing its cud and getting more and more nutrition out of it all of the time, reading the scriptures meditating on the scriptures listening to the scriptures you're in the car a lot i must pray for you more than i do but lord you're in the car a lot or you you're home and you're doing the dishes and you're just it's quiet there's something else we'll come to the second resolution for that but to listen to the word of god so that it becomes a part of you remember you profess to be a christian Jesus, as the model in whose steps we walk, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And the devil comes, and he can use Scripture himself. Throw yourself off, and the Lord will give his angels charge over you. And Jesus had soaked himself in the Word of God and his upbringing enough that he could say, Don't tempt the Lord your God. And he could even pick the lies of the devil. Just bow down to me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. Jesus didn't say it that we didn't need to, but I want to put in there, you big liar. You don't have the kingdoms of this world to give to me anyway. But Jesus says it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And that seems so antiquated in our culture to quote the scriptures. It seems so old-fashioned. It's not cool. It's not with it. So what? What is it that makes whatever came out last week to be the norm of what's good and what's right? God gave his word. And it was given in such a way that people could memorize portions of it. It's been translated in that way. And for all the things we're going to learn about as we go through the Westminster Confession on the Scripture, it declares itself to be the Word of God. It shows itself to be the Word of God. It commends itself to you as the Word of God. Then pray tell. It doesn't make any difference how old-fashioned it is. Soak yourself in the Word of God of God. Because the scriptures in Psalm 119, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scorners. It doesn't mean you're a monk. That's not where you get your ideas. That's not where you get your thought forms. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night and We'll go on with that a little bit later because there's a promise of the effect, but you get it. Soak yourself in the Word of God. Read it. Listen to it. Meditate on it. Get a Bible reading schedule, folks. Stick to it however you do it. But give yourself every day to some portion of the Word of God. It is your reality check in an unreal world. It is your injection of truth in a world of falsehood. And yes, it's an injection of goodness in a world of evil. It is your antidote to the devil who is a liar. Okay, so so I don't need to go further into that. When we come to the section on the Scriptures and the Confession of Faith, I ought to compel you even more with that. Okay, number two. A second of these three great New Year's resolutions, and you can see it, and it's connected actually with the, with the reading of the Word of God. Sing the best things, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, we have our, our very dear uh, psalm-singing brothers and sisters. We'll have one next week with us, a, a girl from the Machen Conference. And they believe in principle that you should only sing psalms in worship. On other occasions, they'll, they'll sing them, but they believe that worship is only to be what God has commanded, which we agree with, and they would say what God has commanded is singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, meaning the psalms, 150 psalms. You say, wait a minute, that's not what it says here. It says psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and they would say, ah. But when you look at the 150 psalms, there are descriptions of each, and those descriptions, some are called psalms, some are called hymns, and some are called spiritual songs. And so they make a case, I don't agree with the case, but they make the case that this is speaking only of psalms. Um, now, the other view, which is the one that I would hold, is with the coming of the New Testament, you're, you're not, the psalms are shadows. They're, they're shadows of the Christ who'd come. Well, you sing in the light, and, and as the New Testament opens, you have Mary's Magnificat, which is a song. You have a, the Song of Zechariah. Uh, you have, you have uh, Elizabeth's song as well. With the, These were all things that were made to be sung. You have the Song of Moses and of, of the Lamb. The Philippians 2 text we heard may well have been a hymn as well as a confession. So, so what we say is well, when Christ has come, uh, there will be Not just the Old Testament psalms, but there will be spiritual songs, songs that the Holy Spirit himself inspired in the first century, before the scriptures were done, and now we would say songs that are in accord with the Word of God. If being filled with the Spirit is to have the Word of God dwell in you richly, then if a hymn has the Word of God dwelling in it richly, well, then it's a song of the Spirit, right? And that would be the argument that most of us, and particularly the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, would make. But I'm simply putting it for that second resolution. Sing the best things. And brothers and sisters, the Psalms are among the best things. It's one of the reasons why we have a psalter hymnal now we work to pick tunes that you can sing but please don't write off the psalms because they're not in your tradition because the psalms are in your tradition uh, years ago we had a, a very dear man in franklin square and he could be a little bit of a nudge but you know after you've been a pastor in opc for a while and in new york you can become a nudge too and so he wanted to come into church membership he said but but pastor shishko i want to speak with you about some things I said, fine, let's go to lunch. We went to lunch and chatted. And he says, now, he says, I want you to know I, I really love to sing the old hymns. And oh, I said, well, I do too. Um, and he says, yeah. And he mentioned the names of some of the, you know, Fanny Crosby and some others. And, and I said, oh, I, I, <laughs> those aren't old enough for me. <laughs> I, I love to sing the really old hymns. They're called the Psalms. And they are part of our tradition, folks. And they were meant to be sung. The thing is, how do you sing them? Jesus opened up in Moses and the prophets and the Psalms all the things concerning himself. Jesus is that blessed man of Psalm chapter 1. He's the only one who perfectly walked in the law of the Lord. He would have had his teeth cut on that Psalm. Psalm 2, he is the king who's given all authority in heaven and on earth. Psalm 119, he is the word made flesh. And, and, and you don't have to do gymnastics with this. Uh, some of the psalms speak more specifically of you. Some of the psalms with confession of sin. Jesus never sinned, but he became sin for us. And when you think about the psalms and you singing them in him, Wow, boy, that transforms everything. And the rich doctrinal hymns as well. And there are many contemporary hymns. Please don't write off any hymns that are full of the Scriptures. We only use the Trinity hymnal. Well, so what am I supposed to do? Stand up and clap? What about people who never heard of it? Do you sing those songs that either are the Word of God or that are full of the Word of God. And, and that's why we do stretch you here by trying to sing those things that don't focus, first of all, on your experience, although your experience is there, but on God and His greatness and on His glory, okay? So, so sing the best things. Um, music, music, brothers and sisters, I hope this won't offend you in seminary, they used to quote Karl Barth, who was hardly orthodox in his theology, but he would say, Beer is the lubricant of theology, <laughs> as you would enjoy a good cold glass of beer and discuss theology. Well, whether or not you like that, you should like this one. Music. Music is the lubrication of the soul. Music is that lubrication that will help cool you down when the crankcase of your heart is too hot. And it's that lubrication that will help warm you when the engine of your soul is too cold. And we early on in the Haven's life, we went through the book Sing by Keith and Kristen Getty. They have it's a magnificent little book. But but some of the things they mention about why singing is so important, they point out it brings Sunday into the rest of the week. Please don't say that I'm at the service for the preaching. You ought to be there for the whole thing, especially when we sing, so that those songs that are in your bulletin that you get most cases on Wednesday and Saturday, so they can become a part of your life, not just on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday as well. They meet your need in every stage of life and hymns do, the psalms do as well. The psalms speak of joy. Psalm 42, why are you cast down, O my soul? You ever get like that? That doesn't mean you're impious. It means you're being honest in a fallen world. Why are you cast down, O my soul? But it doesn't stop there. Hope in God, for I will yet praise him the help of my countenance and my God. Because at that point, the, the psalm is still pretty sad. <laughs> and and uh, he's not praising the Lord the way he should, but it'll come. And the psalms in particular represent age, this different stage of life. This past week, I was a privilege to spend a few minutes with Kim's, Kim Emanuel's now 96-year-old mother. Wow. I wish my mind were as sharp as hers, even though she got 24 years on me. Uh, but to read from Psalm 71, when old, they still bear fruit and flourish fresh and green. O Lord, do not forsake me when I am old and gray. Now let me still have strength to proclaim to the next generation in their day. And see how God in his word gives the scriptures so perfectly for every stage of life. And then they keep before you God and what he's done for you. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. You don't want to keep that to a Sunday. <laughs> you, don't want to, you don't want to keep it even to every Sunday, every day. You see, it brings something of your spiritual experience into life. And also, it takes the best songs. Keep your mind focused on eternity. When you simply sing forevermore, 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 that's called everlasting life. And the scriptures, the scriptures sung do that with you. Um, and I've got, I've got to read this. When we went through the, the, the Getty book, Sing, uh, when we were being formed as the haven, uh, we thought about music and what we sing. But this is, this is great. This is uh, uh, pages 82 and 83 in their book. Quoting Martin Luther, or Keith and Kristen Getty. Martin Luther, music is a gift and grace of God, not an invention of men. And thus, this is Martin Luther, it drives out the devil, and it makes people cheerful. The devil, the originator of sorrowful anxieties and restless troubles, flees before the sound of music almost as much as before the word of God. And they add, our churches are called to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We're not a people, this is great folks, we're not a people scurrying into a corner nursing wounds of defeat. We are a city on a hill, stars shining in a dark world, a people of victory and joy filled with the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit serving a Savior who shall reign forever. When we sing, it is a battle cry of hope for the wounded, for the weary, for the lost. Sing of Jesus. Sing of your Lord and Savior and greatest friend. Sing yourself strong. Sing the church strong. Show up and sing up. And that's exactly what it is. And you know what it is. A brother was saying recently, someone who had paid, done the live stream here, he said, hearing the people at the Haven sing so robustly to really believe what they sang, it's better that you not sing at all than that you sing, Joyful, joyfully adore you. If you don't have grace To sing that with meaning, then just shut your mouth and pray that the Lord then open it with loud language of joy. You'll see in a little bit, it's a particular reflection of God. And we'll never get done unless they get to their part. And here's the third and the fourth together. And you see what I mean and 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 with thankfulness in your hearts to God, and I think Paul said that he says, "Be thankful in verse fifteen, and then he says, with thankfulness in your hearts to God, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, oh, and as if I just so I don't forget it, <laughs> giving giving thanks to God the Father through him, here would be really the fourth of the resolutions, and it is doing whatever you do in word or deed." In the name of the Lord Jesus, what does that mean? Well, in the business world in particular, or in the military, a higher up, and I don't know quite the difference. I've heard it both ways. Sir, would you sign off on this? Or, sir, would you sign on to this? And I, I assume they're supposed to mean the same thing. But anyway, the point is, the superior needs to sign on to something that's done. That's what it is to do things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Lord, can you sign on to this way of conduct? Amen. Lord, can you sign on to my congratulating a same-sex marriage? Can you? It doesn't mean you don't love the people. You love the people. Do you sign on to what the scriptures condemn? I do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Lord, this is what your word says, and I sign on to it. And brothers and sisters, you do that, and I guarantee you opposition will come. You do whatever you do in the name of the Lord Jesus, and God the Father will test you, and the Lord Jesus will test you too. The devil will try your heart and your own flesh will trouble you. But you do what you do in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's nothing there's nothing easy about the cross. And again, folks, that's so much of modern evangelicalism. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. <clears throat> but no real cross that you need to bear as well. But anyway, that's the, that's the fourth one. The third one is this, and it's so obvious because Paul says it three times. Your center of gravity, your default commitment, if you want, is be thankful to the Lord. And he says in verse 15, Oh, you're called to one body, oh, and be sure you're thankful. And then in verse 16, you not only sing, but you sing with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. And then at the very end, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Give thanks to the Lord. And and brothers and sisters, I'll, I'll apply this in a moment. I'll tell my favorite little story. I tried to find out where I first read it. I had to mem- remember it uh, from, from something I read in the past. But it's a it's a cute little story about the Puritan Matthew Henry. And he was coming home one day, and he was robbed. And uh, so he, he came home, and, and he wrote in his journal why he was thankful. And these are he th- had a number of them, but these are the four I remember. Number one, I'm thankful that I was robbed and no one else was. That's good thankfulness. Number two, I'm thankful that the robber took my money and not my life. Number three, I'm thankful that I wasn't carrying more money than I was. <laughs> And he said number four, something like this. I'm thankful that I can thank you. Isn't that beautiful? Now that's that's what is given in the scriptures for us over and over again. And folks, given Romans 8.28, right? All things, all you know what all things in the original language means? Here's your Greek lesson. The the word all things in the original language Greek means all. All things, which means all things, means all things work together for good to those who love God and are according to his purpose. What's there not to be thankful for? It doesn't mean it's easy, but it's good. Now, now let me give you the, some of the effects, and then we'll, we'll wrap all this up, okay? Um, because I said this will change your life. It will make you, you better. And these, these resolutions will in at least four ways. Number one, you're simply going to be a better person when you live out of what the Word of God says. You'll be a better Christian. You'll be a better person. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law, He meditates day and night, and He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. No drought here. And, and whatever He does, He'll prosper you believe that even even in raising children that are not faithfully following the lord in most cases you can see how even the borrowed capital of christianity has produced honest and industrious young people and that's a benefit to society Well, this will make you better just to dwell upon the Word of God. Again, Psalm Psalm 119. Number two, you'll reflect God better. You know, how on earth do these resolutions help us reflect God better? Zephaniah. Zephaniah is one of the minor prophets. And not Zechariah, Zephaniah. And uh, in in chapter three, listen to the ways it begins and the way it ends, okay? Sing aloud. O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. Presbyterians, listen to this. Sing aloud. Shout, O Israel. Well, that doesn't sound very Presbyterian. It sounds like what the Word of God says. Rejoice and exult with all of your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord's taken away the judgments against you, He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. You're to rejoice? Why? He will rejoice over you with gladness? Me? Yes. Because he chose you. And Christ Christ, gave himself for you, and he will see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. And the Holy Spirit is at work in you as surely as he was at work in the first creation, and therefore the Lord rejoices. He rejoices in his work over you with gladness. He'll be quiet. He will quiet you, or it could be he will be quiet in his love. It's as if God is in awe of what his son has accomplished. He will exalt over you. Listen, Presbyterians, with loud singing. God is exuberant, our singing, folks. It has its source in God. And that's why you reflect him when you sing. In praise to him in all that you do in life. Okay, so that's the second reason. The third is this. You will have the best chemotherapy to burn away the cancer of bitterness. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15. Beware. Lest any, and when the Bible says beware, you better beware, lest any root of bitterness grow up in you, and many be defiled. And I don't know about you, but that's a besetting sin I've got to struggle with all the time. Because when you become bitter, it's like putting extra strength vinegar by the cupful in your glass of water. And it not only upsets your own stomach, but it upsets anybody who comes close to you and smells it. And thankfulness is the chemotherapy that burns away bitterness. Thankfulness in all things, folks. Practicing that, making making that the replacement for carping criticism and malice and bitterness and anger and spite and private revenge. Lord, what am I thankful for you in this? And if you've got to take some time to think about it, do it, but be thankful. And then the last is this, and then we'll wrap it all up. You have Christ's own peace. Notice that in Colossians 2, that's that's what begins. It's the transition from the longer material In verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. What's the peace of Christ? It's Christ's own knowledge that all things are working out for his glory and the good of his people. And that's what you get from reading the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, singing the Word of God, and being thankful. The peace, Christ's own peace, rules the way you think and the way you live. So I submit those to you as three great New Year's resolutions to work on. Again, soak yourself in the Word of God Sing the best things and have as your center of gravity always, always thankfulness so that in your whole life you can say what we do sing periodically. Though great distress my soul befell, the Lord my God does all things well. To God all praise and glory. Amen. Lord, make us to be a people in a fresh way a people given to your word, to memorize it, to meditate on it, to chew on it, to think about it, to speak about it with others, to be formed by it, to sing those things, that the lubrication of our own soul in music, the greatest things of you yourself. And then, and then our Lord, to be a people known for thankfulness, not in a thoughtless way, that's not real thankfulness, but a well thought out thankfulness that you're turning every single thing to the honor of your name and to our good and to the good of others. We pray, our Father, that these and other godly resolutions will mark our lives as we go to a new year, as we go to a new day, as we go to a new month, until you take us to glory when our resolutions will have passed and perfection will come, Amen. Amen. Amen.